So even though I'm the one with the three-month-old baby, you're the one who's possibly more sleep-deprived. I feel like I have newborn <laughs> babies once again. I have, because I'm getting up at three o'clock in the morning, and you know when you can set alarm, like, you can set alarm and then it snooze, and then it, I've got four alarms set on my phone, and then I've got a uh, alarm call from the hotel. And I can't tell you how annoying it is when you're fast asleep and your phone rings, you've asked them to ring, and there's this really cheerful person doing their job. I've asked them to do it, saying, hello, good morning, it's your alarm call. And you just, you, oh, it's, it's, it's an awful feeling, but it's got me up. And uh, yeah, it's, I've tried to, I don't know if this is sensible, I've tried to kind of adjust my whole day. What, just shift everything forward? Yeah, so I'm getting up at three. I could probably get up a little bit later, but I'm trying to kind of work to right. a different day. Now, three is never a number that you should be getting up to, whether it's 3am or 3pm, either one. But it's not <laughs> great. <laughs> well, no, the problem is, that by working to that, I should go to bed at like eight o'clock or something. Right, yeah, yeah. Because that gives you about seven hours. It's not happening. No. That's the problem. Well, you faff around, well, don't you? Well, I mean, maybe a few days in... Start getting a bit more tired. All these people saying they had nothing to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not in lockdown for two weeks, but I'm basically going hotel room, work, studio, go for my run, back to the hotel room. So it's, it's a kind of lockdown yeah. because... And the studio is all of 20 metres away. Yeah, so I'm spending a lot of time <laughs> in my hotel room. There's always lots to do. I mean, I haven't run a 5K like Heather Watson. I haven't put a mattress up against a door. And I haven't found any mice, <laughs> so it's actually not been there. But there's always things to do. So when it comes to the right eight o'clock, I should be asleep. I'm just doing stuff, probably quite irrelevant stuff. And then it gets later and then it's just bad, basically. But then it comes to three o'clock in the morning and it's Australian Open time. Yeah, because I get a lovely call from reception saying, good morning. And I'm thinking, well, it's minus two <laughs> and it has been snowing. But it's great because when you get to work and you look at the monitor, you see the blue skies, you see the blue courts. And I don't know about you, but the three slams that we have had now during this pandemic, to me, this feels this feels the most normal. And I don't know whether it's just because of the crowds or just that we're getting used to this new way that we're having to do things so we can have these tournaments taking place. I think it is the most normal, isn't it though? Because it's almost in the right place in terms of the time of year. It's a little <laughs> bit late, but it's, it's it, I mean, it's no French Open in October. I mean, if they'd played the Australian no, Open in no. July, we'd have a bit of a situation going on. Imagine that, go from Wimbledon <laughs> to Australian Open. Oh my, no. <laughs> we can only handle so much schedule rejigging. But they pushed it back a few weeks. And yeah, there's a, there's a good amount of crowd. I mean, remember at the French Open, you were out there. I wasn't. I was covering it from London. But it is, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing how just even a thousand people could totally change the atmosphere. You could really feel that crowd in comparison to the US Open. The US Open was very, very strange. Yeah, very. Because it was kind of the first one. I think everybody was quite nervous about it. Um, and then, yeah, there's there's far more people at the Australian Open. And uh, yeah, it's definitely the most normal. I think the problem I'm going to have is what's that thing when you don't like being... It's not claustrophobic. It's when you just... I think when there's massive groups of people again, I don't think I'm going to like it. I'm getting quite used to these events and, and moving around and not being too busy. Even going to work here, there's not really anybody around. I quite like it in some ways. I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with it when it's back to normal. Yeah, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Was it um, on the first day, um, Shapovalov and Sinner, at the end of their match, that I think they just had a hug. And it's just this split second, you're going to like... <gasps> <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> they just kind of go well, no, like, what are you doing what are you doing no but the thing is they can't do that because they are told at the beginning no sort of touching hugging or but they handshakes. did didn't they 
Yes, but they're told not to. So at the beginning of the match, when we're going through, you've got 25 seconds and towel boxes are red and blue. And I think this is quite clever. You've even got the colour on your chair. Right. So so I think it was Dan Evans in his match saying, what was the colour again? And they said, well, Dan, you're, shall we say, blue. It's also on your chair if you forget. Right. Yeah, See, that, that's, that's nice rather than just asking the umpire all the time. Yeah, I think that that's quite good. And then they've sort of, you know, we, we've we've sorted that out and, and that is that is what you have. So exactly that's where you are. But when they're running through everything, another thing is no handshake at the end. So you can tap rackets or you can fist bump, but no handshaking. And then these sort of sweaty people are hugging each other. Seems like an extra precaution, doesn't it? Because everyone's done the quarantine. There is no COVID there. So you would assume that you could just go back to normal. But they still have social distancing. Yeah, which is why I wondered, uh, is it more is it more a respectful thing out of respect for the rest of large parts of the rest of the world who can't? Because I know in football, Premier League football, they're told, you know, don't do the celebrating. Don't jump on each other. Don't have a pile of 10 people. Despite the fact you don't have COVID and you're tested and you're in a bubble, there are people out there. So like I can't go and hug my mum, for instance. So is it more a out of respect in terms of the image that we're sending around the world? Even though you can, because you've done your two weeks, don't do it. Yeah, I suppose. And even within Australia, people still can't kind of cross the the, the borders and a lot of Australians can't get home and, and that sort of thing. So it isn't really entirely normal. So maybe it is a little bit of solidarity, but it, it does seem a bit sort of strange. Because, I mean, with the Premier League or with the EFL, it's they're in this country where we're in our third lockdown, <laughs> which is which is pretty rough for an awful lot of people. So, you know, the footballers are getting to, of course, keep their salaries and play their matches and do all that sort of stuff. Uh, and the, I suppose people saying, well, then they should set a standard and set the wrong ones. But I don't think people really care. Ultimately, we're in a third lockdown. We want sport to watch. There's the sport. We're happy it's on. <laughs> I think everybody's happy that the footballers are footballing. <laughs> the tennis is tennising. Everything's going as, as normal so that we've actually got stuff to watch because the first lockdown, there was no sport. I, I remember saying in the first lockdown, oh, this would have been a breeze if there was just sport on all day. And okay, I was wrong because it's not a breeze. But... <laughs> It's at least, it's something, you know. But it's when you sent me a message, was it yesterday, the day before, saying, hey, what are you getting up to in Manchester? And I was like, nothing, we're in lockdown. (laughs) But I keep forgetting, you know. Where do you think I've gone? But I keep forgetting because because my life is so absorbed with sort of baby and I wouldn't really be doing much more than I'm doing at the moment, apart from going to a cafe or a pub or something. But ultimately... A pub with a baby? That's starting young. Come yeah, on. absolutely. <laughs> Come on, we're British. What do you, what do you don't, don't, no, don't, don't lump me in this thing with you for those people listening around the world. We don't all do this. Don't all take our babies to pubs if and when we can. Well, I just want that on the record. It's just you. <laughs> we don't there do are a together. select few that, that decide <laughs> to go against it. But I would question the Britishness. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, but so for me, it's sort of... I, I kind of forget sometimes that the whole world has, well, not the whole world, the whole country has stopped turning for, for the moment. And I was texting my friend the other day and I sent her a text being like, how's coaching going? Because <laughs> she's a tennis coach. <laughs> she was like, well, when I was coaching months ago, <laughs> it was wet. <laughs> but but that's about, I was like, oh yeah, you're not coaching right now. Sorry, my bad. So 
before I left for Manchester, obviously packing up all my stuff and normally packing up my stuff for Melbourne, well, A, the contents of the suitcase would look very different and B, I'd be going to the airport and going on a very, very long flight. So, you know, you do that usual check before you leave and I was driving up to Manchester. Have you got everything, everything you need? And I, I remember I, I turned around to my other half and I said, I haven't got my passport. <laughs> and he said, where are you going exactly? And I said, Manchester. And I still... I, I hadn't clicked that I didn't need my passport. And he said, you won't need it. And I thought, no, I'm, I am going to Manchester. I, I don't know whether it's a desire to get on a plane and go somewhere, whether for a second I thought I was actually going to Melbourne or whether I'm just going a little bit crazy. I mean, yeah. they're all viable Probably options. Probably all of them. All viable <laughs> options. So just to confirm, I then have not taken my... He then said, well, maybe you should take it. And I thought, well, what? So... I haven't got it. I'm in Manchester. I didn't need it. And I'm doing nothing apart from work. I'm still doing my runs, but work and hotel. So I'm, I'm living my own kind of hotel quarantine life, I would well, say. Well, it's a good thing that there is a lot of tennis to get stuck into and plenty of work to be done then. And the tennis is, tennis has been fantastic. There was a lot of talk and it, look, it still might happen because we're only getting ourselves into the third round here, but people aren't going to last they're going to pull out. It's going to be a disaster following quarantine. The level's not going to be great. But from what I've seen and heard, largely, I mean, the level has been great. There's been, I felt it really came alive today, which is Wednesday when we're doing this with the Halep and Tomljanovic match and the Umber and the Kyrgios match. And then earlier in the day, we had Stan Wawrinka coming from two sets to love down. Looked like he was going to close it out on the first to 10 tiebreak in the fifth. Had three match points and then lost to Malta on Fucevic. But... From the level that we're seeing from people, you don't see any difference. Absolutely. Tennis has been fantastic. Yeah. And it, it's it's something, I think I was talking about this before, in that tennis players can get really like anxious about it. But ultimately, they've played a lot of tennis. They've done it most days for most of their life. <laughs> they can still do it. Yeah. I, I don't think I really expected anything different, though. There's been a couple of injuries here and there, which has been disappointing. There's also been uh, an issue with just the the tournaments before the Grand Slam, the lead-up events, I always get in trouble for calling them warm-up events because <laughs> they're not. <laughs> but the lead-up events uh, are because they were just so close. It was the week before and they had to cancel the final of the Grampians tournament because it was just it was just going to be not fair on people who had reached the final. You don't want them to be penalised for doing well. But ultimately, the players who do well the week before tend to get penalised, which is why the top players never play the week before a slam. Which is why Dan Evans came out after losing to Cameron Norrie and was and he won his first... You know, it's a big moment. He won his first ATP Tour title at the Murray River Open. But he was saying, no one's going to remember that. No one's going to care about that. He was very dismissive about what I would have thought is a big achievement, but he was really dismissive because for him, it's about the Grand Slams. This is where these guys getting the ranking points, getting the money, getting the bulk of their earnings when you break it down. And he was quite, no one's going to remember that. He said, in a few weeks' time, no one will even remember the name of that tournament or what I did. Which I think is a bit harsh. And also, I think it's very harsh. I'll remember it. I should text him because I put in my uh, <laughs> ATP predictions that the person who's going to win their first ATP title would be Dan Evans. Oh, and you know, so guess I've got a who point I've got. on the board. But guess who I've got? Who have I got? You went quarter. No, who have oh. I got? Umber. Who have I got? Come Wait, on. What? To win their first title? Yes. How am I... How who am I... did Who <laughs> did Dan Evans beat? Oh, Felix. <laughs> who was in his 100th final? Oh. Uh, 
Yeah. I know, and I thought, and, and no, I was thinking, yes, it's a great opportunity. Like you, I'm going to get my first point on the board, nice and early. And then I saw the score. I woke up and I was, I went, oh, that nah. wasn't to be, was it? Well, that's no. da- well, I've got one point in the bag because I don't do well on this time capsule historically. So anyway, so Dan can feel good about that. It was worthwhile him winning that title. Thank you very much. Yeah, but it's he, look. It was probably heat of the moment stuff. He'd come off court. It was a difficult defeat. You never want to lose to anyone. I'm sure. I don't know. Is it harder to lose to your country men and women? Yes, it just is. Yeah. The, I don't care who you are. It ju- it just is. Unless you know you're. It doesn't really matter where you're from. But if you're American or British or, or whatever, and the person that you've lost to is number one. So say you're Roberto Bautista Agut and you lose to Nadal. It, it's no harder than because he's it's ex- a legend expected. yeah <laughs> well it is expected <laughs> yeah and it happens actually to that's be just, fair that's just what happens that's just what happens. to be fair rba does does well against the top guys but uh but yeah it, it, it's not so bad if it's that way if it's expected it's, it's not so bad but uh yeah it's not it it's just a little bit extra who or what has been stand out for you i mean look we've only had three days of action but for you so far what what stood out well, I just think that the focus has been on Kyrgios. It's just been so interesting to have him because he's, you know, he's been sort of, you know, piping up about bits and bobs and, and he's back and it's just been interesting to see sort of you know, how he was going to play. And, and it, it's amazing because still the motivation, I suppose, is not guaranteed to be there after such a long time off right you would think that there would be a little bit sort of you know that that fire fueled and you know desperate to get out there and it's the Aussie summer that's what we're kicking off with and and everything but it's still a little bit sort of up and down but um and of course he played uh you know the five set was it five sets it was five sets wasn't it five set match um and uh, you had the crowd and stuff so it yeah it's been a bit of a focus on Kyrgios but he's been I think pretty much as expected there's no changes there he's good for the sport though isn't he absolutely sometimes he does take things too far but he's so good for the sport I mean look I know we're in Australia and a heavily biased crowd, but the atmosphere, the noise, you just want, even when he's self-destructing, it's awful, you want to watch. I mean, I think, I've said this before, but as a commentator, he's one of the hardest people to commentate on because you haven't got any rhythm. You don't know what's going to happen. It, it can be, I remember, were we together? Were we doing the Rome match when he threw the chair across the court? And, no, I, no, I, I no, no, but I, I remember sure. it, it well when it came through on my, on my app because I, I was climbing the stairs to uh, Court Centrale <laughs> and if you've seen Court Centrale it is a, it's a, a feat climbing those stairs they are steep Ooh, yeah. uh, and I and yeah. I got to the, and I got halfway up and there were people behind me people in front of me and I for some reason got on my phone not a good idea on stairs that steep because they're crazy it's like the O2 are also very very steep but and I got on my phone and it just said Kyrgios DEF which is default and I just went, oh! everybody just looked at me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just had to stop. There's Everyone noise. had to wait for me to find out what happened. So I had to go onto Twitter, find out what happened before I could continue up on the stairs. Because otherwise I was going to fall over and knock everyone down with me. But he's just, you know, you go through, you, it's very hard to get into a rhythm against Kyrgios. I mean, today we had the problem with, with the net and he wanted the net machine switched off and it wasn't working. And then he was. They all hate the net machine, don't they? Do, what, do, what do you think about net machine? Any thoughts? <laughs> I don't know, but definitely the big servers have a real issue with it. The tall guy, all the tall guys, you know who they are, but they all have a massive issue for it. And they say that sometimes their net, their their serve clears the net 
by so far, like you can visibly see it and it still goes off. I isn't a particularly hates the net machine. And, you know, Curious is another big service. I don't know whether there's a thing. I don't know. I'm just wondering whether there's a thing that if you serve so fast, it can set the net off without actually touching it. It's just that quick past it that maybe it causes a disturbance or something i don't know i don't know what the technology's like really i've got no idea but um yeah i just find like all the big servers have a, a real issue with it and you asked me what i think my serve whilst it's, it was fairly big for a, uh, for a wta it a serve it was it was still fairly pacey i mean it's no curios or isna let's be fair so uh no i've never experienced that it's it's also that he needs something to fixate on. He needs something to grumble about. In his first round match, it was someone's girlfriend was in his box. He started yelling, get that girlfriend or your girlfriend out of my box or someone's girlfriend out of his box. Today, it was the net machine. He almost needs a, a focal point, but he's such a tortured soul. I mean, he spoke afterwards about having dark thoughts at times during the match. And for all we see on Instagram and all the good that he does and his foundation, he's very settled in his personal life. When he steps onto a tennis court, a switch is, is tripped. I mean, something happens when he gets it. I don't know if he needs to be like that to play like that. And if he didn't have that, then he couldn't play like that. But, I mean, talk about a roller coaster. I mean, it was incredible. What And huge credit to Ugo Umber. We saw an awful lot of him last year on the ATP Tour. He's I find him quite un-French. I mean, he's super calm. Very, very calm. Doesn't show a lot of emotion. He looks a little bit like a stick insect, his body. You know, he's quite sort of gangly. But an incredible tennis player. Great hands, great skill. And he weathered the Kyrgios storm. Yeah, he he really was... Well, he was as expected, as you say. That's kind of what we come to expect from him. He's That's a him. super yeah. talented guy, very, very nice guy. And you just knew it was all going to bounce off him. He just was not going to care. Yeah. You, you could imagine sort of going into the match that he might have a little laugh at Kyrgios here and there, but he's just one of those players that's not fussed. You can't get under his skin. He just plays. He goes and plays. A lot of the time he plays really well. And sometimes he doesn't. And and that's it. He just kind of goes about his business. So that was probably frustrating Kyrgios, I think, a bit because he just wasn't getting any reaction. And it's not even Kyrgios trying to get the reaction with his antics. It's just that there's just, just barely anything comes from Umber that does the other end. So you just don't really know where he's at. There's nothing to grip onto. You don't know where he's at, You know, whether he's up or he's down because... Tennis players use that a lot. They, they're they always looking down the other end of the court. And if they're feeling tired, they might look down the other end of the court and think, yeah, but they're more tired. Or look, she's stressing. She's she's looking anxiously to her box. Or, you know, he's, you know, going to throw his racket or whatever it is. And, and, and that, you can you can feed off of that. But when you look down, then you're looking for something to, to grab onto that can give you a bit of a boost. Um, and you get absolutely nothing. And then over and over and over again, and after like an epic point or an unbelievable curious shot, he's looking down and Umber's just, meh, all right, do it again. <laughs> we got a best of five set match, buddy. <laughs> Keep going. And I think that was a great advert for best of five sets because nowadays when we rock up to a Grand Slam, there's the conversation, should it be best of three sets? And especially with quarantine and the lack of playing for a couple of weeks, people were saying, well, now more than ever. And I think Craig Tiley, tournament director, said, yeah, we thought about it dismissed it and they do have the first to 10 tiebreak when you get to six all in the fifth each slam does their own thing when it comes to this and I felt I, I don't know I, I would have loved the Vavrinka Fucevic match to go on and on and on rather than be decided by a tiebreak some people are saying you pay you play I think Anki Othvong who I'm working with this week she would she advocates three sets for everybody in slams in the first week then five sets for everybody 
men and women in the second week. Well, I mean, that's an idea, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I personally think it's fine as it is. So you wouldn't change it? Well, I I do get what people are saying because... I mean, sometimes the the matches, first round of slams, the best of five set matches, when it's clearly one-sided, very, very comfortable, you know it's going to be a two, three and two. It's just quite long. It's a bit long to be just such a one-sided, this is definitely going to be a win sort of match. Like, you know, when it's just that sort of thing. And, okay, the top guys can kind of roll through them fairly quickly in like just over an hour. But, yeah, I mean, how entertaining is it? And they've won the two sets and you kind of feel like, okay, look, he's won. We know he's won. He's going to win. We know he's won, but then they kind of have to come out and play another set and it almost feels a little bit token. So I do kind of understand that, but that only really happens, unless it's the top guys, only really happens first round, maybe one or two second round, but not not really. I don't think it happens that often, to be honest. So, I mean, look, I, I quite like it how it is and I really enjoy the fact that slams are a step up um, from the rest of the tour for both women and for men. So with the men, they yeah. go from three sets to five sets and the women go from having on-court coaching to having no on-court coaching. And so that is a, a step you could argue that it makes it mentally tougher. You have to do more mentally um, for for the women. So And the rewards, the rewards are greater as well. Sure. So yes, you're asked to play more sets or you don't have your coach who can come on court, but you are being rewarded in a greater way than you are at the rest of the tournament. Yeah, you? you know, I think it's fine. I mean, it, it, look, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it can be tough sitting through a full five set match because even the epic matches are not epic the entire time because that just gets rid of the epicness. <laughs> like they have to have, you know, you, we, we, you have to have some dips along the way and it's almost a rest for people watching as well. Um, but whether people, you know, really do sit through them or not, um, I don't know. For someone that stood through Isna Mahu, I can confirm they are not epics from the word go. The standard of tennis isn't <laughs> incredible from the word go. It wasn't incredible in the middle and it wasn't that incredible at the end. What it produced in terms of the scoreline was absolutely incredible and there's a plaque on the side of the court and it's all fantastic. But in terms of the tennis, it is definitely not an epic. But epicness is completely different to quality you can have an epic match i mean isma who was epic just not necessarily filled with the most quality tennis yeah it wasn't full of epic quality but that is something you get in these yeah look they build up the end of the vavrinka fritchevich match was was great it's the drama isn't it it's the drama knowing that the finish line is quite possibly in sight it's a fifth set there's very little room for error whereas if you're i don't know four hours earlier and it's 15 all in the first game it's not, who knows what's going to happen, but does everyone sit through every point? Maybe a hardened fan of a Vavrinka or a number or a Kyrgios will do. I think I sat through, actually, no, I spent a little bit of time on Halep Tomljanovic, which was in the midst of Kyrgios and Umber. And I've got to say that was, that was an incredible match. And you just feel the difference there was, it was mentally, the difference was mentally. It was that Halep was able to have the mental strength to get her across the finish line when Tom Lianovic wasn't able to serve it out. But that was that was unbelievable, some of the tennis. Oh, absolutely. And just with the, the five-set, three-set thing, I do think that, for me, the best argument for changing it or moving away from, from five sets for the men to, to three is that you'd probably get 
different winners not all the time <laughs> the top guys yeah. would win a lot yeah. of the time but it would mean that it would be easier for a Medvedev to win because as you were saying the mental challenge the step up is so so huge and they just they just can't they just can't live with them they might be able to live with them for two three four sets but they just can't hold on it's um it's it's really really difficult so and and Halep is somebody who I think she's kind of on a really interesting mental journey, I think, because, you know, she was incredibly anxious for yeah. a long time and she messed up in slams a few times, the final of the French Open. She had a couple of opportunities there really to win. She was kind of expecting to win and, and she didn't do herself, I think, justice. I mean, she obviously tried her best. Of course she did. And it was all about that mental strength. And I think that the slams and not having the coaching has really helped her because... We know that her relationship with Darren Cahill has been so fantastic and worked brilliantly well and she really improved her mental strength. But you can see the journey in that it all happened at the WTA events with him coming on court, giving her the most positive pep talks. I mean, I was pumped up after hearing it. I was like, let's go. I can win this match, <laughs> Simona. Come on, you get off you the court. You need him as your couch to 5K coach. You oh, Darren I Cahill tell in you what, if I could, that would be amazing. But he really was brilliant at that. Like, he really... Um, turned matches around for her he really did improve her mental strength and then the next step is okay well now you're going to need to be able to do it on your own like are you going to call me on court the whole time you know you know what's the deal and I think with Halep and Cahill I believe she kept using on-court coaching as we were talking about a few years ago here kept using on-court coaching apart from the last tournament before a slam so it was kind of that that last big event oh, yeah, pre-slam yeah. she would do it sense. on her own to kind of get yeah. used to it and Sensible. we saw a very similar thing with Naomi Osaka I mean when she was working with um Sasha Bayin she, he, he would come on and turn the match around and I heard plenty of people complaining about it and we hear lots of people say things in quite a negative way towards the women saying oh right here we go needs her coach to come and sort things out does she it's not it's not like it's a weakness in any way i mean it's ludicrous that tennis is a sport in which you're not allowed coaching i can't name another sport that you're not allowed coaching in i mean in every other sport you've either got people shouting from the sidelines you've got messages being passed on you've got half times you have contact with your coach at all time i mean something like cycling in the tour de france got an earpiece in quarterbacks in the nfl got an earpiece in they go, they're fully chatting the whole time i've got one for you hit me ping pong Ping pong. I can't. Can they not table, have coaching? Table tennis. Don't they have coaching at the end of each set? I don't think so. Do they? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Just throwing that out there. Maybe I've got nothing to back that up with. Well, if anyone knows of knows of one, do let us but know. Do you, so but anyway, but, yeah. but people do say that um, about the women. I think sometimes saying that oh, it's it's this sort of weakness, um, but it's not. I mean, would you say that to Tyson Fury or Floyd Mayweather? Every two minutes, they get a pep talk from their their team when they go to the corner i wouldn't be calling them pathetic or weak in any way so if 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 we're not caught i'm not saying this but if we're not calling it a weakness what would it then be so in the case today of isla tomlianovich she wasn't mentally strong enough so if you think you're not strong enough it, you're therefore a little bit weak or it's a weakness so how would you sort of categorize her mentally not being able to close out the match when she had the break and she was serving for the match. No, no, that, that's if a weakness. Not, if it's not a weakness. No, that's a that's weakness. weakness. So, okay. so Darren Cahill helped Halep develop her mental strength and helped, and um, same with Sasha Bay and with Naomi Osaka, like I was saying, they went 
on a similar journey where he was really involved in the matches and then was less so. And then in Slam, she really was able to to, to do it mentally herself. And you can see her coaching herself through through the, the matches as as with Halep. But it, it's not, yeah, so it's not a weakness to have the coaching, but sure, it's it's a mental weakness if you can't last against Halep and, you know, Tomlianovic was up 5-2 in that final set and she couldn't close it out. Hey, Halep's been there enough times. You know, you learn yeah. it with experience and then when you're 5-2 down, you think, well, I've stuffed it up from 5-2 up a number of times. I bet she can as well. And that helps you sort of, <laughs> sort of hang in. So, yeah, it's a bit of a weakness, of, of course, to not be as mentally tough as you're, opponent but it's not a weakness to have have coaching i mean it's absolutely ridiculous it's it's as you say i cannot think of another sport where it is written in the rules that explicitly you are not allowed coaching in every other sport you are you've got people shouting you or whatever i mean maybe something like swimming is quite difficult if the coach is shouting you as you're swimming because you can't hear them when you're underwater a lot of the time (laughs) and they've got to try and time it when you come up (laughs) but i mean look yeah, on, on the whole, it, even with the on-court coaching that we have in the women's game, it's very little. You know, once a set, it's not very much. You think, as I say, somebody like a boxer or mixed martial arts, I mean, they're having talks every few minutes. They're getting told what to do. They're getting told to calm down, breathe, and giving the pep talk and that sort of thing. So, um, so I, I do quite like that the slams are like kind of a step into into that and it is that little bit of uniqueness so i wouldn't want to lose it from slams like i I would like to keep the the no coaching for the win but not for the same reason that most other people seem to think i think one of the hardest jobs on our side of things to do is on court interviews because you're having to ask questions for the people who are there and sometimes you want to do this sort of have you been out in melbourne do you love the city, etc. You're also they're also going out around the world. So we're back in the UK going, we don't care about if they've been to a restaurant in Melbourne. We want to know. Do you see what I mean? And you're dealing with the personality on court, which can be slightly varied. And we've had a couple of instances where Novak Djokovic was interviewed after his first round win by a lady who I think her job primarily is the master of ceremonies. So she will bring them out onto Rod Laver Arena. So it's we still have the, the Jim Couriers, the Casey Lacquas, Lena Dokic, but this was, and obviously we're missing a lot of people who haven't travelled out there this year because of the, the travel restrictions due to COVID. But, I mean, bless her, she was chatting away and then she she seemed to bring up the Adelaide time when he sent the email to Craig Tiley, when people thought he was complaining and then he was frustrated and she said, so you had a really frustrating time in lockdown. And he turned around to her and said, did I? So how was I frustrated? Tell me. And, you know, you sort of start sinking in your chair Ooh. thinking, oh, it's oh, never's a good time maybe to go there with Djokovic. But no, no, not now. And he said, so tell me about these frustrations that I had. And she was like smiling. Going, no, I kind of meant. And, and it's, it's a very difficult. I don't know if she's in tennis a lot or not, but it's, it's a really difficult position, I think, to be put in. And then you have the other side of the coin when you get someone very experienced like a Jim Curry and you're sort of interviewing Stefano Sitsipas and Naomi Osaka. Now, I've interviewed Stefano Sitsipas for not on court. And it's, it's not that straightforward because his mind works in many ways. And you find yourself, do you know what I mean? I, his interview... He did the other night. You were sort of sitting there going, oh, is this, I don't know, is this good? Is this not? Because again, you're having to juggle the let's make the crowd 
cheer wildly while everyone listening is thinking I, I, I think it's I think it's I think Jim Courier is a master at it but I think that is a very hard job to do Courier is very good but it is really difficult and everybody says it's more difficult than you think and I think one of the hard parts you're juggling exactly what you said there as well but also you want to try and get some personality out of the player because yeah. if you just ask what did you think of the match where do you think your game's at what about your next opponent like if you just yeah. ask that you're gonna get the stock answers most of the time yeah. almost everybody will say the same thing well you know she's great she's playing really well it's gonna be a tough match you know so you you, you need to try and liven up your questions to try and loosen them up but if you slip into putting in your own opinion, so like that particular interviewer saying you were frustrated, well, unless he actually said he was frustrated, you're almost like you're telling him how he felt. And that's why they get really defensive and they're like, hang on a minute, I didn't feel like that. How, who, even if he did feel like that, he'd be like, who are you to tell me how I feel? We all drew a... Sh- there was a sharp intake of breath yeah. in our studio. He we went, oh, she's asked that call. When he came around and said, so which frustrations were those? And you're like, oh, you don't want to be out there in the middle of the Rod Laver arena. It's, 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 it is, I think it is very difficult, but a lot of outlets, they do just want, how do you feel you played? Where's your game at? What about your next opponent? I mean, for some people that... Yeah, and if in doubt, you can do that. If in doubt, if it's like your first time doing it or whatever, you you can do that. You get the job done, no problem. But if you want to have the more interesting chats, you want to try and engage them and engage the crowd and that sort of thing, then you've got to tiptoe into that sort of stuff to try and draw it out of them. And it can be pretty dangerous, as we've seen a number of times. Now, what I thought was a very normal, good, standard question was put to Victoria Azarenka. Now, we've got a number of journalists who are actually in the press conference room and then a load more who are kind of, I think they're using Microsoft Teams who are just sort of appearing virtually and asking the question. Now, Victoria Azarenka lost to Jessica Pegula. Victoria Azarenka was one of those players in the hard lockdown, the two weeks that coming out of her room. She had a medical timeout. So a very obvious question, what's wrong? Why did you have, you know, that's a standard question. And she got very defensive. It was a very strange answer from her. And I don't don't know how you feel about it, but that's just a standard question. So so Venus Williams had twisted her ankle. She had, and I'm not saying that she's going to sit there and give you a full diagnosis of what's wrong and and when she's going to be back playing. But you are going to be asked if something happens in public view to your body, your body is key to what you do. It's a very fair question to ask what's wrong. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. It's not that she was surprised about it. She was just sort of protesting it a bit, wasn't she? She's very defensive. Yeah, she was just like, why should I have to? Why should I tell you? Why should we? And it it was interesting because it, it was something that kind of got me thinking in that, you know, you do have to provide a public reason for why you withdraw if you were to pull out of a match or withdraw from a tournament. Yeah. It has to be a reason that's made public. And my very, very favourite reason ever was uh, Serena Williams when she withdrew from, oh, it was either Madrid or Rome, probably Madrid. Um, and the reason at the bottom of the draw sheet, because they put it, they normally put like leg injury or something. It's quite generic, but just an area uh, at the bottom. <laughs> and for Serena, it was clashes with the Met Gala. <laughs> you know what i like i like the honesty she didn't suddenly say i've got a dodgy elbow and then pop up in a beautiful dress at the Met Gala. <laughs> I actually, I actually quite, I quite like the honesty in that yeah, case. But that, but but that's kind of what you do. You have to lie about it. Like there are 
lots of fair and valid reasons that you might need to withdraw from a match or you might not want to play a tournament or whatever. But you do, you have to put forward a reason. And it, you know, normally it's sort of based in truth. I mean, if you look at, um, say, Naomi Osaka pulling out once again the week before a Grand Slam, it's that sort of... It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? I mean, she pulled out in Cincinnati and then went on and won the US Open and that was just a couple of days before. So, you know, it's the same sort of thing. She'll she'll say, okay, you know, I'm pulling out with my back. It's not that she can't play. It's that overall in the picture, it's probably back's a little bit sore. Meh, I'm happy with how I'm playing. I don't want to play anymore. Um, so... I do think it's tactical. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it is tactical and not in a horrible way. Like tactics are very important in tennis, in career, in in the overall picture. Absolutely. But it did make me think, actually, when Azarenka said that. I mean, it made me think two things. One, wow, you're defensive. And <laughs> two, and two, it just did yeah, made me realise that actually, yeah, you are required to put things out there when you might not want to so then but then, but then the normal thing is you just make something else up exactly that's what i'm saying she could have she could have just said it uh, an area of her body or made something up maybe she's someone that doesn't want to lie at all but it just felt she did get very defensive because say she can't play the next tournament wherever she plays she'll have to give a reason then she can't then say to the tournament director of i don't know miami oh i'm not telling you why should i have to tell you because you have to tell them and then it, it, yes. it's public information because people will ask. They might even end up going to her agent. Why is Azarenka not playing? What? And it just, I, I think though with, it's a tricky one. So the big players, they want to get matches in before Grand Slams. For the, the players at the very top, it's about the Grand Slams. It's about the records. That's where they want to peak for. Naomi Osaka at the age of 23 has already seemingly pared down her schedule. She knows where she's going for and she knows where she's aiming at. So she doesn't play Cincinnati. I think it was a hamstring Cincinnati. And was it a shoulder that she pulled out the event ahead of uh, the Australian Open? But is it... And I'm not saying there isn't a problem. I'm not saying that everyone never has a problem. They just make it up. But isn't it quite disrespectful to the tournament who suddenly doesn't have a final, doesn't have a showpiece event? Well, I mean, look, it is a bit disrespectful, but I also totally understand it. With... The way that the schedule has worked out after being rejigged, unfortunately, they've all sort of been forced to play in the week before the tournament and they don't want to. Um, the other thing they could do is deliberately lose. <laughs> and I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying that sometimes that happens as well in that they would they would play yeah. um, and then they'd kind of get to the quarterfinals and say, right, I've had enough and just kind of you know, show up on court, lose the match, but they don't really care. And off they go. It doesn't happen very often. Just like pulling out doesn't happen very often, to be honest. It happens more often than we would like. And yes, we would like everybody to compete um, on the tour week in, week out. But the schedule is far too busy. It's far too long um, for these top players to think about having a long career. And you can see the benefit of ha- of having a, a light schedule. Like it, it's be- we've seen with Serena and Venus and Federer still playing at, at their age because they've had the lighter schedule. Absolutely. If I'm an Osaka's team, I'm saying you definitely keep your schedule light. Um, I think not playing to Miami is absolutely um, kind of a, a, a sensible thing for her because I don't think she needs match practice. Every time she's won a slam, um, actually, no, not before the US Open because she obviously did well in Cincinnati before pulling out in that final. But 
the other the, the two that she won before that she was playing rubbish before the slam she even said she she put out this whole apology saying I'm not playing very well and I'm really sorry oh, to all my that. fans yeah, and she did yeah, it both yeah. times US Open and the Australian Open and she doesn't need to come in on a run of four. The, when she won the US Open the first time, she'd never won a main draw match at a Grand Slam. And then she won the thing. And then she won the Australian Open. She couldn't stop winning. But then if a lot of players followed this line of thinking, a lot of tournaments would suffer. Because yeah, but it's they, only, no, they because get the big it, it names It won't in be it. a lot, though, because it will only be the very, very top ones. But they're the ones that will draw in the fans. If you suddenly say, I've got Nadal in my tournament, or I've got Serena Williams in my tournament, that isn't is in itself... Uh, a revenue stream. Sure, but when it comes to the Grand Slams and the WTA 1000s, as they now are, oh, yes, yes, or yes. the ATP Masters, you're guaranteed that you're going to have almost all of the top players. It's very rare that they wouldn't be playing in those events. And if they weren't playing in those events, it would only be because of injury. It's only the lower down tournaments, the smaller that's, events. That's that... what I'm kind of thinking about because they're the ones that will they're the ones that will suffer. The Grand Slams will be fine. I mean, this Grand Slam will survive with not having Roger Federer there. But it's I don't know. I just worry a little bit about the smaller tournaments. If if players did more of this or were allowed to do more of this. Well, if the WTA and ATP wanted players to play more tournaments and they could increase the cap on the the ranking points because for the men at the moment, yeah. they take their top 18 events and for the women, they take their top 16 events. Bump it up to 20 if you want them to play more tournaments. I mean, Serena famously, I think, was number one in the world on about three point scoring events at one <laughs> stage. Uh, that's not, not necessarily how, how it goes. But... You know, players tend to play between 20 and 30 events. 30 is a lot, 20 is a little bit lighter. Um, but, you know, so they have a few extra ones to try and get, obviously, the, their best points. But but I don't think they want that because I think they want to protect the players. The reason the WTA have less tournaments is it's all for protection of players. Historically, they've had a bit more protection of players than the ATP has, but that's just because of the average age on tour they've had to have those policies developed more than the ATP it's not that one's right and one's wrong so we've ended up that they've got a couple less tournaments that that count and it's just just 16 events but okay say Osaka plays 16 events well okay that's that's really what she's she's asked to do so I don't know I don't feel like they should be uh, obliged I think if they wanted to, to change the schedule and decrease the amount of tournaments there were but guarantee that all of the players would play they I mean they could do that now I have to say and I've said it a few times on the pod that I'd like her to but I don't think Serena Williams will win another slam therefore she won't equal the record she won't surpass the record um I, I'm for the first time I'm a bit wobbly on that because she, she, she's because she's turned up in a one-legged cat okay, suit. That that was that was ready to go. Wasn't the turning point for me? If I could just say, was not the one-legged. And I'm wondering if there's suddenly a heat wave in Melbourne. I think that's going to become a very uncomfortable outfit. Can she whip off the other leg? Could you, well, yeah, just cut it off or wear something. She must have different outfits. But it's, <laughs> I mean, it's making a step. Look, I personally wouldn't wear it ever. But if someone is going to wear it and pull it off. It's Serena Williams, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting outfit, isn't it? But no, that wasn't the reason. But she, she's she's looking so relaxed. She's playing so well. She's always talked about the record. She's not one of these people that puts her fingers in her ears and doesn't want to talk about it. She's always said, "I think about it. I want it. I feel the pressure." But I don't know that the narrative seems to have changed a little bit now. That she's kind of got used to it. It's there. Of course, she'd like. I I don't know. It just something just feels a little bit different about it this time. Hmm. 
I mean, I, do you, um, I mean, I've tipped Osaka to win, and I'm not, I'm not wobbling on that. But I don't know. There's just a little something here about how so, I mean, she's dropped as we speak five games through two rounds, and is looking very, very good. She is looking very good. She's looking raring to go. And yeah, I don't know. I still, what did I said by 2022 that she would, uh, she would equal the record. So I'm going to stand by that. But I am going to have to shoot off, I'm afraid, Baby Duty's call. And I know there's so much more tennis Can to Can I just about. do a final thing before you go? We had a tweet from Mac. Now, she's doing the unofficial couch to 5K. And she says that she listens to our pod when she's running. So as someone who's doing the official nice. couch to 5K, could you just do a little 10, 20 seconds for Mac? Just choose currently running as she's listening to us. A little kind of, a little bit like, I've never done it, a little bit like the coaches do to you in your ear. Could you just do a little 20 seconds for Mac to, to keep her going on her run? I don't know if I can do 20 seconds. Um, keep running, Mac. Good job. <laughs> right foot, left foot, right foot, right. left You would be... <laughs> You would be fired as my couch to 5K coach, well. Ms. Cavaday. That was awful. But I know that baby duty's cool. So I'm going to get you, let you get back to little baby Roger. I should pretty much be thinking about going to sleep now because I've got to get up in, I don't know, a few hours. But there is so much to talk about. And you know what? A lot of the things to talk about, I'm sure there's still going to be talking points next week. So make sure you join us next week. We will continue talking about everything that's coming up over the course of this Australian Open and I will have had nearly two weeks off homeschooling I'll be like a new woman (laughs) see you next week (laughs) bye bye bye